When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. And Fulham are not on the beach, are we? Two victories in a row, this time against Leeds United at the Cottage. The first win in the league at Craven Cottage since February. So it was a nice day out uh, for everyone who attended SW6 yesterday. Is the European dream back on? Maybe not, but we could be Kings of West London and that would be a nice way to finish the season. It was also a much needed win ahead of three very difficult fixtures. It's not looking great for Leeds, is it? Are they falling apart again? Here to discuss everything that happened in yesterday's match and preview Tuesday's game against Aston Villa is Drew Heatley. Hello. Hello. Isabel Barker. Hello. Hi, Sammy. Thanks so much for having me on. Pleasure. And Farrell Monk. Hello. 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 Uh, Izzy, we can't start the podcast without congratulating you uh, for your win in the Muay Thai uh, your debut in Muay Thai is a um, unanimous decision. Yeah. You absolutely punched their lights out. Um, how did it feel? I mean, it's been all that practice of scrapping Brentford fans and Chelsea fans that really made me <laughs> win it, I think. But no, no, it was great. It was so much fun. Um, I've got a proper black eye afterwards. I still kind of got a little one. Um, yeah, my nose, I think, is actually a little bit broken. But it's all character building. And... Um, <laughs> Yeah, great practice for next season's scraps that I'm going to get into, I'm sure. Can't, can't <laughs> wait. Remind me never to piss you off. Uh, <laughs> next time we're down the pub, I'm going to be really extra nice just in case you uh, lose it and start kicking me uh, for, <laughs> around the pub. Um, if you want to see um, Izzy's kind of winning moments in this fight, um, just go to Izzy's Twitter, at Isabel Latifa. I'm, I'm watching it now. I'm just watching her kick seven shades of shit out some girl in a blue top. It's... Um, it's it's really, we really both, fun. We both had um, bloody noses by the end of it, and none of the lads like had any blood or anything. So I think our fight was actually fight of the night, the only women's fight. So yeah, I would actually recommend watching it. It's very entertaining. <laughs> Obviously, apart from Izzy, who do you think would win in a in a Fulhamish uh, Muay, Muay Thai fo- boxing match? I'm talking about Fulhamish c- contributors here, not not the Fulham team. I'm not going to go up against Alexander Mitrovic. <laughs> yeah, we're, not, we're not an odd lot, are we? To be fair. I think Izzy's the only hard one among us. I know, I'm struggling a bit. Who's I think, quite I think Cam wiry? Ramsey would I think Cam Ramsey would oh, fight. Oh, that's quite a great well. shout. Yeah. yeah, that's a yeah, great a good shout. All guns blazing, yeah. I'd go Cam. Yeah. I would love to see a Jack Kelly Don Betts uh Yes. Uh, that would be the scrap. undercard, wouldn't it? Yeah. That would be like the first one where <laughs> they uh <laughs> I'm I'm the better away day fan. I'm the better away day fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah all leading up to the cam ramsey isabel barker uh, main, main event, main <laughs> event. Wow, maybe that should be the next Fulhamish event. More details on that uh, coming up. All right, let's get back to some three-word reviews from yesterday's win over Leeds. Uh, Farrell, uh, what came in? 
shout out to Matt Pollard's uh, America's team confirmed. Uh, Ari Odds's our Americans better. Love those. Um, M's very good. Season treble completed. Now that we've got our third win over Leeds this season. Um, Lindsay's leading West London with a nice little touch with the uh, uh, the double E in the middle of leading. Very good. But yeah. um, and I'll finish off with uh, Fulham home runs with. Muchas gracias, Javi. <laughs> Very nice. Interesting that you mentioned the treble. Um, I, I was a bit bored walking to the Duke of Cornwall uh, after the uh, game yesterday. And I, I saw, oh yeah, we've beaten them three times. Uh, double in the league and then obviously knocked them out of the cup. It must have been years since we've done this to another team. And then remember that it actually happened last season. We did the treble over Birmingham. Uh, we beat them in the League Cup and then we did the double over them in the league. So then I was like, well, it's got to be years since we've done it in the Premier League. And actually, um, you only have to go back to 13-14. The season we got relegated, we did a treble over Norwich. We knocked them out the FA Cup and we did the double over them in the league that season. So I was like, oh, maybe it isn't that special. It felt special anyway. Um, Have have we ever done a four? A League Cup and an FA Cup? No. I mean, maybe, so maybe or, back in time, but that's got to be pushing it, surely. The odds on doing or a that play Or a playoff run. I don't know. Or something like, you know, we play them in the, you know, might maybe Cardiff or someone like that could be. <sighs> Feels like yeah. we might have whipped Cardiff a few times in the same season. But then I remember when we, when we beat Cardiff in the playoffs, we actually lost the second leg mm. at home, even though that's we made true, the final. True. So yeah, if anyone knows of a time we've done a quadruple over a team, then, uh, then give us a shout. Um, Drew, a great win, much needed. I think the last couple of weeks have just been really, really pleasant for us to arrest this slide. And particularly with tough games coming up, Villa's tough. Man City's obviously tough. Liverpool away is tough. Um, to get us up to 45 points just gives us breathing space now. And those neat next three games are kind of free hits a little bit. Or certainly no pressure on, on those three games. But yeah, a, a well-deserved victory, I thought. Yeah, and it's uh, I'm, a, I'm a big advocate for for getting points in the bag ahead of sort of difficult runs. And and you look at those two games, uh, Everton and Leeds, and you think, well, we definitely need to do that. We've managed to do, we've managed to do just that. Um, you know, we've reached 45 points faster than any other season in, in history for us in the Premier League. Uh, we, we could have done it. We could have beaten 40, could have done that uh, in the fastest time, but we, we sort of stalled somewhat. So now I think the sky is officially the limit in terms of final points total because we've never been in this position before. Um, it's, it's interesting, obviously, Villa up next. Uh, they sort of faltered. So I'm, I'm slightly more confident going into those run of three games than I would have been before. I think we can all write off City, but we know that Liverpool are guest at Anfield. So, yeah, it was it's nice to be looking at the table again because I think when uh, we were all looking at the table and looking at all the different minutiae and different things that we could be doing uh, to maybe get into European places or whatever, finish as high up the table as possible. And then when you get the, the run that we had where we're losing four or five on the spin, you just stop looking at a table and you, you you just, there's no point. Uh, so it's nice to be glancing back at the Premier League table again on a, on a work day when you're bored, seeing uh, what could be. Um, Izzy, let's go back to the starting lineup. Um, not a great sign for Carlos Vinicius that he's now not even the third choice back up to uh, Alexander Mitrovic. I think the pecking order is now fully set. This is probably going to be Dan James back in, you'd imagine, for the Villa game, considering how well he played against Everton. But Bobby Reid did a job yesterday. Yeah, um, I think we now know what Marco really thinks about Carlos Vinicius, because if you're not starting under these circumstances, then uh, yeah, it's not looking good. 
exactly that. Uh, that's exactly the kind of take um, I've got on it because having been in kind of all of Marco Silva's recent press conferences, it seems only weeks ago he was saying, you know, Vinicius is the replacement. He's the one I've got my faith in. We've got to give him a few games. You know, he's shown what he can do against the likes of Chelsea and and, and Brighton with that kind of assist. Um, and now, yeah, to see him not even be third choice, it seems, just seems like he's really fallen out of favour under Silva. Um yeah, Silva saw him 100% as the man to replace Mitro in terms of not just, you know, in terms of how it kind of fitted our system mainly. Um, I would say that uh, for the for the Villa game, it would be Dan James coming back in. I didn't think Bobby did anything wrong or anything like that. I just think the performance of Dan James against Everton was just a bit better. Um, and obviously you can't really match his pace or anything like that. So I guess he would come in for for the next game, but not looking good for Finicius. And I just, it, it's just fresh, a frustrating one, isn't it? It must be frustrating for the staff that have to work with him, but it also is for fans because it kind of seems like history repeating itself. These glimmers of moments of, um, you know, amazing moments like the Chelsea one, and then it just peters out and it kind of makes you think what could have been with him. So yeah, no, uh, a, a sad state there with, with Vinicius. Um, Farrell, it was a slow first half, I think is fair to say. Um, I, barely anything happened. Fulham were the better team. And you could tell that like, fine, this is this is okay. But yeah, um, I went down for my beer on 43 minutes and uh, probably could have gone 10 minutes earlier and I would have missed absolutely nothing more. Um, it was one of those sleepy, snoozy 12.30 kickoff first halves, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, but I was still kind of pleased with the performance really because we certainly... Uh, were the better team in that first half uh, without actually creating too many too many things but we were creating opportunities and we were sort of dominating the game and controlling I mean Marcus always talks about controlling the game and I think that Fulham were were doing that and I think that we just hadn't quite taken advantage of the fact that Leeds were pretty poor on the day Um, we just needed to just turn it on a little bit more in the second half as we actually have seen quite often this season as well we we have tended to be more of a second half team and and that's really worked. I, I it was very it was very sort of reminiscent in some ways the style of the Everton game naturally with with a Deco Dover Reed up top instead of Dan James, in the fact that we were finding opportunities to sort of get into good positions out wide and get more one v ones um up against their fullbacks, which um William was doing plenty on the left hand side and a shout, big shout out to Harry Wilson on the right hand side who really had uh, Woba all sewn up and everything. A quick note on that: it's like I don't understand how how Woba wasn't booked uh, much earlier than he actually was. Mm. Um, than whenever I think the seventieth minute or something. Considering Paulinia got a booking straight from the off on his first foul, and Woba picked up five fouls before he got his yet first yellow card, is pretty uh, pretty ridiculous. But yeah, I was pleased. I, I think there were opportunities there. I thought Pereira was very good. Um, but yeah, echoing what Izzy was just saying before, I think Deco Dovereda was good, but probably not as as good as Dan James was last weekend. So we'll probably see him in next week. But yeah, sleepy first half, but it, the opportunities were coming. Yeah, I found it hilarious with Vober that he was arguing the yellow card. I was like, come on, yeah. man. <laughs> you should have had one about an hour ago. <laughs> I, I think you should just shut up and just accept it. Like you've been fouling all day, mate. <laughs> Calm down. Um, Drew, uh, Harry Wilson's goal is is lovely. Anthony Robinson deserves a big amount of credit. And even Melier deserves a big amount of credit as well because two assists for him yesterday. Um, lovely to uh, get a little bit of help uh, from the 
opposition. Um, but I, I mean, it was a mistake from Melier, but that wasn't an easy finish from Harry Wilson and he certainly went for the uh, spectacular he maybe could have slotted it home a little bit easier than he did but it, it looked great and um, I love that Harry Wilson is back and it's not just the goals of course they've been great but also I just feel like we really are a better team when Harry Wilson's on form yeah and you can see just how crucial confidence is to a player like Harry Wilson like he he got back to physical fitness you know in a decent amount of time considering but when when you saw him come back he was he was lacking that confidence which then sort of uh, he, he loses almost a, a mental yard and and all of these different things that has a knock on effect and you can just see it and the, for me the the finish yesterday was just proof of how that confidence has been topped back up to to the ninety to one hundred percent range. Because, as you say, it could have gone so far. It could have. It, it was paper thin. It could have gone so badly wrong if it had gone off the upper end of the crossbar instead of going straight uh, back down into the goal. So, but the fact that he had the poise and the technique and thought, you know what, I'm actually I am going to uh, give this a little bit of welly, just proves that he's uh, he's got that confidence back and. Yeah, we are we are much better with uh, with him in the side firing on all cylinders, and it's just nice to fire up the old song again because uh, all the elements are finally coming back. And who knows, one day we might actually have more at the same time. It will be, um, and, I, and I'm really sorry that someone sent this in, and I can't attribute them. If I find it for the end of the podcast, I will. But Harry Wilson, Mitrovic, and Niskins haven't played with each other since the seven nil against Mental. Luton at the end of last wow. season. So by the time that Mitrovic returns, uh, May the 13th, it'll be been over a year since we've had Harry <laughs> Wilson, Mitrovic and Niskins. Uh, we better hear the loudest rendition of the other oh. song ever because Harry Wilson, when I interviewed him after the match on Saturday, said he heard the other song. He actually said that um, and he said he loved hearing it. So hopefully when we have them all back together, hopefully uh, it will be the loudest rendition and the best rendition ever because they deserve it. Oh, how was, how was he after the match? I imagine he must be over the moon, is he? He was brilliant. It was so nice talking to them because they just seem like, you know, they really feel like the season's got back on track. Spoke to Anthony Robinson as well. Um, it's just a really good mood in camp. You know, they're saying that, you know, the biggest setback for them is Mitro being out, but actually Mitro's so involved behind the scenes, helping them out so much um, mentally and physically that I think they're all just kind of reaping the good of, good effects of that. And um, yeah, Wilson Wilson's in a great mood because he's a boyhood Wrexham fan as well. So he was telling me after the oh. game, he was like, I'm going to sit on the settee, get my food out, you know, watch the Wrexham game with the lads or whatever. So yeah, he's, he's loving life at the minute. He was trying want- to, they, they were trying to get tickets or something, but I think they were like gold dust and obviously, he wouldn't have made it anyway, but yeah, he's loving life. <laughs> maybe he, he, maybe him and uh, Gordon Davis had a few chats about uh, uh, Wrexham as as a former Wrexham player. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe Wilson will um, do a bit of a Ben Foster and just go play miles below his level and uh, head to League <laughs> Two next season, so he can be in season three of uh, of Welcome to Wrexham. He just wants to hang out with Ryan and Rob. He probably could be Ryan Reynolds' best friend if he fancied doing that. I mean, he'd have to probably take a considerable pay cut and uh, it wouldn't be the best career move probably, um, but he definitely could make it into uh, season three. Oh, what a day for Harry Wilson and uh, congratulations to anyone else associated with Wrexham. Uh, amazing, amazing achievement uh, for them to be back in the EFL. Um, Farrell, the second goal was weird. <laughs> Just was like, ah. Oh. Yay! <laughs> what? <laughs> Just fell to Andres Pereira and the easiest goal anyone's ever scored at the Hammersmith end. I was just waiting for it to get disallowed because it just looked 
just looked simple and weird. And But once again, it's a fantastic assist from Ivan Melier. We've got to hand it to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. Um, I, I don't know which one was worse or better. I've got, I've got to say, and he does come into a lot of stick uh, with his crossing ability, but I thought that Anthony Robinson cross was actually excellent. And it was literally in that area where either Deco Dover Reed is going to try and get there. Obviously it was just a bit too high for him or Melier didn't know exactly what to do with it. And I think that the, that coming from that cross um, Jedi should get a lot of credit for, for the goal as well as Pereira um, doing his best to slam it as hard as he could from three yards out. Um, but it was like everything leading up to it. Um, Marcus Silva, I think also said in his post-match comments around um, we needed to be better at winning the second balls um, and that's where it came from. It's not just Jedi's cross. It's, 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 you know, it starts off three passes prior to that when I don't know who it was uh, on the right-hand side um, winning the ball in a high area and then Pereira picks it up in the middle of the park and he's got acres of space to run into. We totally exploited that gap in between defence and midfield that they were, that they were allowing us while Leeds were trying to get back into the game. And um, yeah, I think it, it's, it's not just the cross. It's not just, um, it's not just that it's, it's also everything that comes with it that they've been working on the training ground. And, um, yeah, I, I, it's just, it was, it was great. And it was a weird moment for sure. Um, I, I was thinking about same as you, Sammy, that for some reason it looked like he wasn't about to take the shot cause he thought it was, he thought it was going to be offside or something like that, but yeah, great. Went in wonderful. Yeah. Um, Drew, I've been, uh, looking back at um, our pre-season predictions that myself, Jack and Peter did on the Thursday club. And uh, one of the categories was second top scorer. Um, Peter said Mana Solomon and uh, Jack said Bobby Decadova Reed, who are joints for second top scorer. I said Andreas Pereira. So I need Andreas Pereira to uh, <laughs> chip in with a few more goals before the, uh, for the end of the season. Um, there's some good how and bad takes in those. Yeah. Uh, that's his fourth league goal. Okay. Okay, well, Solomon's on five then, and so yeah. De- Bobby Decker Reed must also be on five. So that's not too bad. No, no, no. It's, uh, it's, it's quite, yeah, it's getting would you uh, be, interesting for would, the end of the season. Would you be annoyed if Pereira goes on a massive scoring run and then he actually finishes top goal scorer and you don't win your little prediction? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I know. That, I mean, uh, he's got a long way to go. I mean, he's currently on four and he needs to get to 11. I mean, I'd probably take it for the sake of losing <laughs> the, uh, the Fulhamish bet. I'd probably, the, the benefit of him scoring a load of goals would probably be worth worth the uh the trade but yeah we'll uh we'll have to see um drew leeds got back into it it was annoying um it was a weird goal and um i felt like maybe fulham fans had slight egg on their faces because <laughs> uh i think it was rocker who was uh couldn't take a corner to save his life and we were all taking the mickey out of him because he kept hitting the first man so much so that the fulham crowd were like Hooray! every time that leads past the ball it then ended up in the back of the net and uh yeah not not maybe the, the hammersmith end's finest moments there <laughs> it's 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 funny how you uh you feel a bit of embarrassment and shame isn't it we were talking in the in the stand as it was going on like the most juvenile things that happen in football that are really funny so uh that only in every time like you know after a few crap corners or like jeering the goalkeeper your shit uh uh, so many like ridiculously juvenile things in football they're just so funny and then uh, and then obviously they go and put it in and uh, yeah you kind of it's like you've been told off by your parents with your mate round and you're just sort of like oh it's a little <laughs> bit ashamed 
Um, yeah. But I think it went. I think I think it went down as a Polinio and goal in the end, didn't it? Which I'm pretty yeah. happy about because I can't stand Bamford. I'm not sure why. Don't ask me why. He just his face winds me up. So I'm glad he didn't get the goal. <laughs> Um, <laughs> luckily it didn't matter um, I, I, there was never a point in the game where I felt like uh, Leeds had anything any sort of skin in the game at all really we were we were so much in control that as dull as the first half was so it was uh, even with eight minutes injury time at the end it was kind of odd because you just stop looking if you have three eight minutes injury time and you're 2-1 up it's nervy if it's eight it's basically like 82 minutes and you just stop looking so it was uh, even towards the end I was not never particularly concerned and I don't know whether that's the underlying thing of we're safe, so the jeopardy's gone a little bit. I don't, I don't think that's true because I still do want to win every game. So it was a, a, a strangely comfortable afternoon despite conceding. Yeah, we we are reasonable at, at holding out a lead. It, it's been quite a common theme, it feels like, this season where we've been maybe a couple of goals up, conceded that like consolation goal and then had to, had to work for the victory. I can think back to that Brighton win earlier this season. We did it at Forest. Uh, Leeds at uh, Ellen Road, we did it as well, where they scored with like a minute to go and made it unnecessarily nervy for themselves. I'm sure there's a couple of other examples uh, in there as well. Um, Izzy, what did you make of of Leeds? I thought that they were... I couldn't actually know. I don't know what I thought about them. I kind of was like, I always thought Fulham had the beating of them. I thought that ultimately we had better quality. Um... But then again, there were some dangerous players on that pitch who just just didn't quite click for them, really, did it? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it was just overall a really important win for us because actually I think Leeds players, and it's seeping down to the fan base as well, they just seem like they don't have the stomach to kind of fight for their Prem survival. You know, me and Dad, dad, my dad's back from the Cayman Islands and we were really looking forward to the atmosphere that kind of Leeds fans bring. But even, you know... At the very least, Leeds fans will tell you your support is fucking shit. And I felt like even they weren't even chanting that that much. And they just felt like it was just really flat from the fans to the players. So it was really important that we got that win. Um, yeah, and I'd, I'd watched them against Palace. I'd reported on that game where it was uh, 5-1. But at the start, they had a really blistering start and things like that. But they just didn't even really have that against us either. You know, they just seemed sleepy. And I'm glad that... We saw out the win. I think it made us show that we've got, I know we do make it a bit difficult for ourselves, but we, we're just showing we're more mature than when we last were in the Prem. You know, I think if that was us against Leeds before when we were in the Prem, we could have, you know, ended up drawing that game or even losing it. And we're just showing this kind of extra level of maturity, which the players are, show, are saying as well. Anthony Robinson was saying the exact same thing. We just look way more mature than we did under the likes of Scott Parker. And um, yeah, it was, it was an important win for us against Leeds, against a very wounded Leeds side. And I think we could see them getting relegated back to the championship, to be honest, because their fans were chanting about the board and, and um, you know, the the the... Uh, the board at the club getting rid of them and they were chanting for Marcelo Bielsa back so it seems like it's not looking good for them and they could be back to the championship yeah I mean it literally is a fight just to not be the three worst teams if if someone like Leeds <laughs> if Leeds or Everton or Forest stay up I don't know if you can take any glory out of it it's literally just you were not quite as bad as the others and I'm sure they'll <laughs> celebrate it and they're they're entitled to but my word there is some absolute dross down there I mean Farrell you look at that team and like there's impressive players on the pitch I really like Brendan Harrison I think he's a, a wonderful player um, I, I, I thought that McKenney was going to be a great Great signing for them. He was someone I wanted Fulham to get. But also you look at the like player like Willie Nonto not being on the pitch. Um, Sinistera not being on the pitch. I mean, that's just 
bizarre in a game that you, you had to win. And, and Fulham right now are one of the teams I feel like you want to play. I know that we're doing all right and we, and we are proving that we're not on the beach, but we're not going for the league. We're not going for Europe. We're not staying up. And so I think if you're putting in meek performances like that against us and, and not put, playing your best players, that's a bit strange. There's certainly an element of like when I was watching the game yesterday and I, I kind of was looking at the way some of their players and the way that they were playing, that they, they just weren't showing their quality. Like I think that the, the, some of those Leeds players have the ability to to do something, but they just weren't showing it. But then you look at it in comparison to the Fulham team and actually when you compare it man for man, each one, I can't really see any of those, any of the Fulham players not getting in uh, in a combined Fulham Leeds team uh, over the other one. Like, you know, Kenny Tete is better than Christiansen, for example. And, you know, Tosin, the way he's playing at the moment, he was, again, another brilliant performance that seems to have come out of, come out of nowhere. What a redemption arc for, for him. I want to know what, what happened between Diop and, and Marco Silva that meant that Diop magically got dropped from the team. But yeah, he played better than both Liam Cooper and Robin Koch. Um, what was weird for me was the fact that their best player, by by some distance, I feel like Nonto, was not on the pitch for a significant proportion of that game. Um, and it just shows that, you know, with the new manager coming in, I don't know how many games he's had now, Gracia, but he's obviously not entirely settled on what team is actually going to get them out of this out of this particular rut. Uh, and it's a it's a very deep rut that they're in at the moment. They need something to go their way and and regain some confidence. But yeah, you're right. There are some quality players, but I just don't think that any of them really are actually comparable to the quality that Fulham have at their disposal. No, although if Willie Nonto fancies uh, a little move to SW6, just to add to our nice collection oh, yeah. of wingers, that would be uh, that'd be a fun one in the summer, wouldn't it? Just come join this, come join the fun where we do stepovers for fun, uh, Motspur Park. Um, yeah, their next games are against uh, Leicester and Bournemouth for Leeds. Absolutely massive. Although, although- the definition of six pointers. Although Nonto, when he did come on, still couldn't get the better of Kenny Tete. Uh, Kenny Tete in 1v1 situations is just sublime. I, I, I was almost, every time a winger comes up against Kenny Tete, I want him to take, on, take him on because I feel like, oh, we're just going to win the ball back. That's great. Thank you for giving us possession. Thank you. Well done, Kenny. I'd love to see maybe Tete against Mbappe. Like really, like, can we just, how far can we push his 1v1 ability? Um, can we make that happen? Um, might need to qualify for the Champions League. But uh, yeah, I, I, he, he just is sensational, isn't he, at those one-on-ones. Right, we're going to take a break there. Afterwards, we're going to answer some of your questions. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast is Sammy here with Drew, Izzy and Farrell. We have very exciting news. Fulhamish Live is back. We are heading back to the half moon in Putney on the 8th of May after the Leicester game between 6 and 8 p.m. Uh, We went there last season uh, after we lost to Coventry. Uh, Probably not a great omen. Hopefully we'll have a win uh, to talk about this time. It will be a live recording of the podcast at the Half Moon, which is a fantastic venue, and we would love you to come along. Uh, It's pretty limited tickets at the Half Moon. It isn't the world's biggest space. Um, So if you want to get your tickets, uh, head to fullamish.co.uk. There will be a link there. Uh, you, then 
you head to the Half Moons website uh, in order to buy the tickets. Uh, advanced tickets are nine quid. Uh, so we'd love you to come along, celebrate with us. Hopefully what will be uh, a victory. We'll have a couple of special guests. We'll do a live version of everyone's favourite. This will catch on as well. So head to fullamish.co.uk. The link's on our socials as well. Uh, and the link will be there to the Half Moon website where you can purchase the tickets from. And we would love to see you live for a Fulhamish podcast. Uh, it's always one of our favourite things to do every year we managed to blag a date after the Leicester game uh thank you to the half moon for for fitting us in after that game got rearranged um yeah so really really hope uh that you can make it um and uh yeah tickets sold pretty quick last year so uh please uh please do get on it if you if you want to come uh we will be extremely excited uh to see you down there if you can't make it down there though uh you'll be able to listen to that podcast afterwards uh just like normal uh let's look at some of your questions um Let's discuss something that we were discussing in uh, the break just now. Uh, PK says, how likely do we think it is that Polinia gets a third ban? And on that basis, should we manage his matches until the end of the season? So Farrell, he picked up his 11th yellow card um, yesterday. Um, and we asked, what on earth is the punishment if you get to 15 yellow cards? Turns out no one's ever done it. Uh, do you want to share your findings from your very quick Google? Uh, oh, I've actually, I've, I've closed that tab because I didn't know we were going to go to that. But um, so uh, <laughs> there's actually quite a lot of people who have got 14 yellow cards in a, in a season. Uh, former Fulham favourite Olivier Dacour got 14 and 13 yellow cards for Everton and Leeds one season. But yeah, there's a whole bunch of people on 14, but no one's hit the magic 15. And just considering that not much is riding on Fulham's season unless we have like a late surge to the European spots, then I'm kind of like, why don't we go for the record? Go on, go on, Palinia. I mean, to be honest, he could get a yellow card for anything. He could get a yellow card for looking looking the referee the wrong way, considering his yellow card yesterday. So he could very well do it. Someone, uh, um, we're terrible at uh, giving attribution this week, but uh, somebody, I think it might have been at the Fulhamish Retail, or somebody called it the Polinia Tax. Uh, oh, it was Jack Kelly on the quick take. There you go. Uh, you know, he's he's got that at the moment, doesn't he? Like, he's on 11 cards. I think, uh, rightly or wrongly, he's getting a sort of a reputation, which I find really strange, because I do find him such an interesting player, because he's got that precision in his locker. Uh, but I think when you tackle as much as Jao Polinia tackles in, in throughout a season, you know, you're going to win some, you lose some. But... He's got what seven games left to get four cards. I mean, that's an impressive. <laughs> that'd be an impressive return if he manages it. You want to see how far you can go, don't you? Now, like now, we know that fourteen's the limit. Do we want to? Do you want him to go where no man has gone before? There's like looking <laughs> at that list. There's it, there's a very sort of Jao Polinia esque sort of style to it in terms of like one. You know, once you rack up like eight or nine yellow cards, then the targets on your back in that regards because it's like players like Lee Catamol is unsurprisingly on that list of fourteen yellow cards. The one that actually surprised me was Mark Hughes got fourteen yellow cards in a season, which you have to do some. You have to do quite a lot as a striker to get. Uh, uh, to get 14 yellow cards in a single season. What yeah, terror for defences. But there, there is, like, you can look at the Premier League's rules. There is no clarification on what happens if it's 15 uh, yellow cards, as far as I can see on the on the Premier League website. Um, so they just clearly haven't factored for it. I'm sure they'll think of something uh, to, to punish a Fulham player. They'll be uh, like, oh, back again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Interestingly, yeah. on the... Uh, 
On the yellow card thing, um, no Fulham player now can get uh, a ban for too many yellow cards because it's up to the 32nd game. Uh, uh, Pereira, sorry, is the closest to getting a ban. He's got eight yellow cards, but... uh, if you got one in his next game, that must be a ninth. And then he goes over the threshold. So fortunately, no more yellow card bans, it seems, for Fulham, unless Polina reaches the magic 15. I just, I did, I mean, it would be funny, but then when he misses the first three games of next season, because he gets given some special ban, then we won't be laughing. So yeah, maybe avoid it, Polina. Although I, I, I think he can... Surely he could control himself to to not get a yellow card in more than 50% of his remaining matches. But uh, yeah, he he has got a a penchant for picking them up. Um, Izzy, Andrew Henderson asks, I think this is a really interesting point. Is Leno a strong candidate for player of the season? Another couple of big saves yesterday. Uh, There's been all these stats going around about how um, Leno has had one of the most impressive 1v1 records in Premier League history um, this season, which is an astonishing statistic. And... Yeah, I mean, ask me a few months ago, I'd have probably told you that Polini was a shoe-in, but with Leno's recent performances, again, like yesterday, another great couple of stops and so assuring at the back, he's got to be right up there. If he's not in the top three, it's a travesty. Yeah, completely agree. Like quite a few press conferences, I've asked Marco the same questions about Leno because time and time again, he just produces, you know, red hot performances that, that have seen us see out games. You know, that crucial save has made sure that it's been a, you know, that it's been a win where before it would have been a draw or even a loss and things like that. Um, he's so calm under pressure, but it's just about the journey he's had at the club. Um, I, it just seems like that it's been a perfect fit, Fulham and Leno together. It, it, Fulham's breathed new life into him. You know, he was really just mentally not in a great place when he left, how it ended with Arsenal. And when he's come to Fulham, he's just, the family feel apparently has made him just feel really kind of at home at the club. And he's obviously, you know, you can see how confident he is. He's got a great relationship with Silva. And I really think, you know, it's the start of a, a brilliant few seasons together, hopefully. And um, yeah, he's just been so good this season. And um, he really feels like Fulham is his home. And we can see that in his performances. So cool, calm and collected. And he's just been brilliant for us this season. Yeah, I feel like he doesn't necessarily get some of the recognition that like Ariola got because I don't think he has to make 15 saves a game. I think the only game where I'm like, he absolutely like had an made world-class save after world-class save was maybe Leicester away. But it's just the fact that every game, Farrell, he makes like one or two big saves. And therefore, I think he doesn't get the headlines sometimes because he didn't save Fulham single-handedly. It's not like Mark Crosley at Newcastle kind of stuff. But it's just those one or two massive moments every game that is just getting us, has, has got us countless points this season. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's reflective of the, how the team are performing defensively. That there is only one or two times that he's called upon, but when he is called upon, it, it's you know he's doing more than enough. And one of the other things I really like him, his ability to come off the line and anti- anticipate through balls is something that goes unnoticed as well. He cleans up quite a lot when quick strikers are bearing down on goal and he, you know, he clears up everything. And I, that's another sort of like string and on his on his on his Lenbo, if you can say that. Uh, I think he's a very, very good goalkeeper and we're, we're really reaping the benefits of it. Just, yeah, as, as Izzy was saying, hopefully this is the start of a long, beautiful friendship between Fulham fans and burned Leno. Yeah, and great that he's got a song now as well. I like the status quo song. It, it, it works. It's good. Um, I, 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 I don't know if it's a coincidence that... Um, 
I, I saw that I, I, it went kind of viral, Wrexham fans singing it for, for Ben Foster after his penalty save. But that's the first I'd heard it, that song for a goalkeeper. And then almost like one week later, it was uh, Bert Leno's song. But um, if that's how it came about, then all the better, because it's really good that uh, he's got a song. And I think he appreciated it as he came down to the Hammersmith end yesterday, uh, that he now has his uh, a proper song of his own, not just Leno, Leno. Um, players love it, I think, those those moments where they, where they do get a song, don't they? Um, Drew James Gleick asks, can we return to the Europe dreams? So you're looking at the table right now. Um, Fulham are in ninth. We've got 45 points, um, 31 played. See, seventh is still the European spot. Um, Liverpool are there. Five so points it's, ahead. It's, it's it Brighton, obviously, got a few games in hand. I mean, I still think it's unlikely, but. It's unlikely, isn't it? But Brighton aren't, aren't Brighton aren't looking at seventh, are they? So like we're we're looking at who's going to sort of be in that shuffle above. Um, I'm looking, you know, our running is kind of mixed, isn't it? I can see us getting, you know, another. I can see us definitely getting at least nine more points, um, and that's being sort of, I guess, realistic, uh, not pessimistic, not not optimistic, just sort of where I feel like we could be. Uh, you know, that's not that's not going to be enough, is it? Um, but it would break our it would break our record points tally um would. so i i do think for the record i do think we will get 54 or more but i just i no, i don't think we'll get europe now but i think what we all should be focusing on is is topping the west london southwest london table uh because that's a real possibility we're in the we're in the driver's seat for that and uh and that's that's what i'd really love if we could break our record total we could top that little uh, bragging rights league uh and then i think you know that would surpass all expectations build in the summer without the extra pressure of europe that might come too early and i, I think that's that's best case scenario there's also the element that of teams at the top either winning the champions league winning the fa cup that kind of stuff and then there's extra places in that regards so i think that would open up an extra extra spot in the league i think I, i'm i'm I trying to like I, I think it's i think it's huge it's hugely unlikely that eighth can be a, i think it, i, I mean we did discuss this briefly on the thursday club and peter and uh, mm. jack kind of tore me apart because i thought for a while that eighth could be possible i think you'd 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 need and uh, maybe actually the only possibility could have been a chelsea won the champions league but seeing as City are the only side left in the Champions League, I don't think that would open up another space. I'm pretty sure it's seventh. Um, and, I think, and the permutations for eighth are huge. But we're only five points off seventh. <laughs> the, the bottom line is, is that we seem to have the best feeling at the club since the days of Hodgson where we did have a taste of Europe. It seems like we are, for the first time, on the brink of kind of we could do that again so that's the main thing I think I'm not too bothered if we get Europe this season or anything like that that'd be hugely overachieving I think we could definitely build on it for next season because everyone at the club is saying we've got that feel-good factor back that we had at the days of Hodgson so I think it's looking good we could well get a European tour next season so it's not too disappointing if we didn't get one this season. I personally think you look at our games and four out of seven of those games are games that Fulham have no right to win. You think Villa, the next three, Villa away, City at home, Liverpool away. We still got to go to United on the last day of the season who might be fighting for a Champions League spot. So that's not going to be easy. And so as Drew said, maybe nine points is realistic, probably seven to nine points. That gets you to like 52 considering that Liverpool already in seventh on 50, I think that the Europe thing's not going to happen unless we start beating the big teams. I think if we would, 
somehow got a win against City and Liverpool, then I might be like, whoa, okay, it's on. But I think we'd have to beat some pretty big fish now in order to make it. And I, I don't think that's that likely in all honesty, but you never know. I mean, the way we're playing, I'm, I'm going to go into Tuesday's game with some confidence that we can go to Villa Park and upset everyone. I, I think we're going to be you know, massively not favourites for, for that, but uh, you never know. Uh, at this moment, I should probably apologise, by the way, for George and Jack's horrendous maths on the Thursday club last week, where they were there. I think Jack's words were, yeah, I think we can get 12 points out of those games, but that obviously won't be enough to uh, eclipse 53 points um, when we were on 42. So I'm not not sure what happened there with the old maths, but uh, yeah, um, wouldn't have happened on my watch, uh, put it that way. Uh, let's go on to uh, this question from Dom. Uh, he said, if we started all our trickiest players, Willian, Solomon, Cabano, Wilson, Pereira, could we set a record for amount of stepovers in a game? Um Farrell, I mean, again, not loads to play for in the final seven games. This could be the kind of thing that we start doing. Just let's start breaking world records for things that mean nothing, <laughs> as Dom as Dom alludes to. Is it the modern day equivalent of uh, the Hereford game with uh, Marsh and Best tackling each other? You just get everybody stepping over and everyone's just having a lovely time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that that sounds great. I mean, I just I just want Fulham to be meme worthy for the from now until the rest of the season, considering considering all that. Most yellow cards in a season. Let's go for most red cards, most FA sanctions, most step overs, most hot dogs thrown onto the pitch. <laughs> Anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um this one's a good question. I'd love to hear um all your thoughts actually. Uh at it's only Fulham uh says William Wilson, Manor, Bobby, mm. Cabano. Now everyone is back fit. Who are our best wingers? So let's say everyone's hundred percent fit, everyone's a hundred percent in the right form. Who starts on the right and who starts on the left? Uh Izzy, I'll uh, I'll start with you. I think what you just said then, right and left, is where I have a bit of a conundrum because you know, we've, it, it's not about, for me, it's not who's best. It's who, I don't know who, cause I, I love Willian and Solomon, but they're probably both really similar in, yeah. and you know, they've for, for years, they've been really similar, trained in a really similar way and everything. Um, but I, you, I wouldn't start them both. So I find it such a headache. I'm going to pass it on to someone else. Oh, you backed out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> done, the, done the opposite of what you did in the ring last Saturday and just shied away from the right. challenge. <laughs> Drew Farrell? Um, well, I'd go back to what we said earlier and a fully firing Wilson has got to be in there for me and currently Willian. But I think, you know, Solomon, if we can keep him, is the long-term successor to, to Willian probably. But... As it stands right now, those have got to be the two. But there's you get clouded by you know there's there's the sentimentality aspect with Cabano. You know there's we we've you know we've got stronger wings than an American Eagle, so it's uh it's pretty we're spoiled for choice really. But um, I'd say at the moment it would be Willian and, and Wilson. Farrell, uh, Dan James on both sides. Um, <laughs> now I've I, I, I'm just watching. I'd, yeah, go Willian on the left. I love Willian. I think he's great. Uh, and yeah, Harry Wilson. I, I mean, it, I mean, it's definite recency bias, but Harry Wilson on the right. Um, I think he's just got a little bit more to offer on that right hand side. However, don't for, not forgetting Decker Dover Reed as well. Like he he started the season brilliantly. So yeah, 
I think the mood at the minute is from the players is what they were saying after the game is that their Wilson's not going to be dropped. He's he would have to do a lot to be dropped. So it seems like he's going to be starting. Um, so I guess it's whoever starts on the other side, but um, which I'm happy with. Wilson's found his form at a brilliant time where we haven't got Mitro, so I'm happy with that. Um, yeah, no, I I, th- I think I think Drew's answer of currently Wilson, Willian, but it feels so harsh to be like no to yeah, Cabano, Bobby, who's played on the wing most of the season and been fantastic. And when we know what Solomon can do, it mad that Solomon can't get in this team at the moment. Other Premier League teams must be looking at us, just keeping Solomon on the bench, bringing him on for five minutes. Like, what the? What's going on at Fulham? Oh, man, Solomon can't get a game. Um, it's it's incredible. Um, I like this one, by the way. Uh, at Rick Cardis says, not a question, just an observation for Sammy Farrell and Drew. Don't piss off Izzy. You'll regret it. Uh, with two uh, boxing glove emojis. Um <laughs> Duly noted, Too right. Rick. Too right. Duly noted, Rick. Thank you. Um, it's a bit. It's a bit sad to bring down the tone, Farrell, of um, ticket prices again. Um, there's a couple of people talking about uh, Shade Khan's um, interview in the Times yesterday uh, at Craven the Hunter. Uh, kind of put a spin on it. I'm not 100 sure is right. There's a lot of media attention on Wrexham's promotion with owners that care in light of Khan's latest interview and just generally how much do you think the Khan's care? Um, if you haven't read Shade Khan's interview, well, I don't blame you because it's behind a paywall, which uh, didn't seem like the world's most sensible uh, choice. Um, it's with Alison Rudd um, and, and Farrell. I just think actually for someone that's quite good at PR, I think the inter- whole interview that Shade Khan's done here just comes across really like not great at all um there's so much focus on the three thousand pound tickets there's no mention of the kind of 18 percent rise across the stadium he tries to justify the hundred pound tickets because they sold out um he then does some awful line at the end where he says i go grocery shopping like everyone else it's like the 200 richest man in the world like well, what are you, are you trying to kid? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe you have a different opinion on it, Farrell, but I just read it. And I was like, Ugh, this is just like not very nice. No, exactly. I think read the room, um, Shahid Khan and, um, in that regard. Um, I think that from his ivory tail, which is the Craven Cottage balcony uh, yesterday, um, you know, he's, he's not really understanding or listening or, um, you know, I think they, you know, he's probably really underestimating the mood amongst the fan base or whatnot. I mean, think about it this way. Shahid Khan has been at the club now for the chairman as for 10 years and which is not, um, it's not a short amount of time and there are zero chants about Shahid Khan. Um, I think that tells you how, probably how popular he is with the fan base, particular at the particularly at the moment. Um, you know, I, I do. You know, according to his representatives, that he is definitely aware, especially with the open letter that we did. Um, you know, we've now met his representatives. Unfortunately, there's no movement on on season ticket prices, which is incredibly incredibly disappointing. Uh, which is like, yeah, we heard you, but we still don't care. So you know, get on with it. Just run along now and, and carry on what, you know, keep buying the tickets or don't, and we don't care. Um, that's kind of how I understand it, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely not just us on the trust, but the fans keep, keep going. Let's keep pushing this. Um, I'm still hopeful of a, 
of a resolution because I don't want, I don't, I certainly don't want this to continue. This does, this just doesn't represent what, you know, the family ethos of this club really is. And it doesn't really represent uh, what Fulham should be like, really. It's just not the right thing to do. And I believe Fulham should be doing that. I just feel like, Drew, I read the article and his whole point is Fulham has to be sustainable. And to be sustainable, we have to increase revenues. And getting away from the whole fact that ticket revenue isn't that big a part, it's not even a minute part, really, of club's revenue. I, I kind of see Ish's point. Like, like, yes, we do need to be sustainable, but you're, you're driving the sustainability so much. Who who do you want us to be sustainable for? You want us to be sustainable for the fans, right? You're, you're so desperate to be sustainable. You're driving out and pissing off the people that you're trying to make us sustainable for is kind of my reading of it. Yeah, it's becoming it's becoming a bit of a reductive argument, really. It's uh, it's never been as black and white as that. Um, this sort of sustainability conundrum and this thing that keeps getting peddled out by the club and i think you know you say taking aside that that point about the uh the minute ch- ticket revenue impact the fact that that has been and i tweeted this the fact that it has been debunked with figures every single time it comes up it's negligent from alison rudd to not challenge chad on that on that issue because she she should know that every every if she's been reading around the ticket issue any to any degree you'd see that um, and it's not just at Fulham, it's at any club where the ticket prices are being ra- uh, raised with that sort of uh, that argument in mind. So it, it's a shame. Um, it's to me, the whole piece was Chad's response to the open letters um, just through the times. I think um, he was never going to respond to the open letters. He was going to acknowledge the receipt, which I appreciate is something that, uh, you know, I know the Lilies and the FST are like, we're, always ex- we're happy that he's acknowledged the receipt. doesn't mean he's read it. Um, you know, I can acknowledge the receipt of an email. I don't mean I'm reading the damn thing. The, but there's a whole, it's, a, there's, you know, the original question, do they care? Yes, I think they do. I don't, you know, I think there's always, you've always got to sort of look at the bigger picture here. Like, and I'm not saying, you know, it could be worse. So let's, you know, sit back and, and take it. I'm saying, but I am saying it could be worse. We could have worse owners. I'm not saying they're terrible at all. I'm saying they are tone deaf on certain issues that we care a lot about and we don't get an open dialogue with them to try and change those that's irre- that's irrefutable but do they care yes i do think they do um you know i don't i don't think that he's gonna sell craven cottage and then try and you know sell us down the river or anything like that i do and then and they do invest in the club but i just think on this issue for which hits hits home and and is cared about by a lot of people uh you know all a lot of the fans i wish there would be more of an open dialogue on that but as as I think we've seen, we're not going to get that uh, anytime soon. Just no. quickly, I just think the bottom line, he should have said that what will make Fulham and is, and I think we are just starting to see it, a, a sustainable club is making the most out of our fantastic academy, our fantastic young academy prospects, our young players, like I hate to say it, Brentford have done, Brighton do with their business, not so much with an academy, Southampton have done and maybe he could have acknowledged that a bit more that we are starting to work with that better the likes of Luke Harris we've dealt with his scenario way better than we have with with previous young players and that I think will make Fulham all around a a more sustainable club it's not about catering for millionaires and things like that I just yeah I just thought it was 
tone deaf, as you, as you said. Yeah. Yeah. And it is a shame that I feel like the £3,000 tickets got picked up so much in that interview. And that's what he's trying to justify. It's like, oh, mm. I feel like the wider media has picked up on the £3,000 thing. And yeah, because it's much more clickbaity and much more headline generating that Fulham have got the most expensive ticket in world football. But I think most fans are much more bothered about the price of their ticket rather than someone else's. And, and it's a shame that like half that article um, was was about that. And I agree with you, Drew. I think he does care. He doesn't want to turn the, he's not trying to hit here, trying to turn the the cottage into flats or like, like previous owners. He's not here like the Glazers and he's put us up to debt up to our eyeballs. Of course he cares. He wants Fulham to be sustainable and profitable and a, and a solid Premier League club. It's in his own interests for it to be that. Let's not forget that. But it's just a shame that he's that's so blind to this this issue. And I was I was astonished by that article because I just couldn't believe that that was allowed to, to go out and anyone thought that was going to go down well. Um, so yeah, I would personally like to see some direct action towards the last few games. I think it's got to that point now where we've tried the dialogue. I think quite clearly it's not working. I think it needs to be led by all parties involved in Fulham, probably by the FST first, if I'm, if I'm being honest, um, you know, the Man City game seems like a good opportunity, but that's only a week away. Um, there are a couple more games before the end of the season. It would be a shame if any protest is detrimental to the players um, or the team, which I think everyone in the club respects at the moment and doesn't want to do anything that would detract from the performance on the pitch. But something, I feel like we need to think of something because the message has to be sent. And there's so many people angry about this. I've never seen this kind of reaction from this. Even back in the 2018-19 when Stop the Greed all happened, this seems stronger and deeper. And I think that I've seen people care about this that I've never seen care about ticket prices before which i think says um an awful lot um yeah but wait and see um and yeah if you get a minute to read that article then uh probably uh probably a good idea although you might not uh, enjoy it uh right we're going to take a quick break there afterwards uh, we'll look ahead to tuesday's game against villa Part three of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy here with Drew, Farrell and Izzy. Let's look ahead then to Tuesday night's game against Villa. Midweek football is back. Oh, you've been missed. A Tuesday trip up to Villa Park. And Izzy, the difference of the Villa side that we're facing now to the one that we faced back in October when we spanked them 3-0 at the cottage. It was Steven Gerrard's last game. We went into that one. It's just such overwhelming favourites because Villa looked horrendous and now I'm looking at this one I mean I'm just on who scored at the moment looking at Villa's recent results and it is just a sea of green win win draw win 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 draw um yeah they're very good and uh, Unai Emery's done an amazing job Ollie Watkins is scoring goals for fun um this is going to be very very difficult yeah, I think um, I've spoken to a few of my mates who support Villa and they actually love Fulham. They love Fulham so much because they think in a weird way we helped them out go on this amazing run because obviously Gerard was, he must have been sacked at the cottage. I don't know if he had to get the coach back with them or what. It was a crazy evening to report as a, as a journalist. It was such a weird mood. And yeah, the club just looked like they were in, a, it was a horror show for them. And, and the run they've gone on since, Emery's just worked wonders. Um, I reported on one of their games recently, the Leicester game. They just are blistering from start to finish, uh, look menacing throughout, you know, getting 
got a last gasp winner then. Um, and um, Ollie Watkins is looking so menacing under Emery. I think he's one to watch. Um, he's just got complete, got so much confidence out of this group of players that looked so dishevelled when we, when they came to the cottage. So I'm worried about this one. I've got to say, I think out of all the teams, I'm probably the the team that I would I would pip to take, um, predict to beat us the most facing them next. Um, yeah, I am worried about this one. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, Farrell, you see uh, Villa, I mean, it's their defence, I think this is so impressive as well. Uh, Konza and Mings are like two of the best centre-backs in the league at the moment. Like, what has Emery done? You know, he's got like secret potions or something. How have you managed to like, uh, <laughs> how have you managed to sew something out of them two? Um, it's it's incredible, really. Ashley Young's right back. Like, he's they're just done doing an amazing job with a limited squad. I guess a bit like our very own manager. Yeah, I, what I've been quite impressed with is 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 the the change in sort of style and that belief uh, that Emery has installed throughout the entire team. Because we saw we saw in the return the, the reverse fixture how sort of meek uh, and standoffish Villa were. They sort of now sort of play with a bit of energy and a bit of style, and they're getting the best out of players that were not were not necessarily playing at their best. Buendia has had like a big, massive return to form. Um, Leon Bailey did as well before he got injured. Uh, John McGinn is is re-energized again um, with such a high energy player. Um, and as we've seen with Ollie Watkins, like he's now on a massive goal scoring form. And I think that sort of just transpires throughout the entire team, entire team and breeds confidence into players like Tyro Mings, who had a torrid time at the cottage last time around. Um, and yeah, I think, I think that, yeah, it, it's just that confidence going through the team now and they are playing with a new, with a new style that's, that's really, really full of energy and, yeah, and maybe stuff, maybe smaller things like letting Danny Ings go was probably like a bit of a masterstroke because you know he's such a high, he's such a good striker, but they play, they have to sort of play to his strengths, and it's not that high energy system, and they can utilize Ollie Watkins a bit better, really. So I don't know how Fulham are going to sort of set themselves up. It's it's now notorious that we play so much better against the teams lower down instead of the teams above us. Um, maybe that maybe. Marcus Silva would opt for a more defensive style, but I I don't think that's going to be the case. I still I still think we're gonna we're gonna play exactly the same way as we have been, um, and hopefully we can we can get something from it. I mean, um, Drew, you might imagine that we'll go back a little bit to the Everton system. I think that's what potentially could work here. Villa are going to have quite a lot of the ball on um, on Tuesday, and Fulham are going to be a bit. Um, second best and so it might be a little bit try and break on the counter might be Fulham's best strategy here and and Dan James for all his faults running down the channels being um, the, the the quick man up top is probably the man to do that um, obviously like we'd rather have Mitch Rich back I don't think it would be like oh we'd put Dan James in above him but in the scenario I think actually that could work yeah, it reminds me a little bit of Brighton earlier on in the season. And um, we, we, I think we famously tried the BDR false nine for the first time then. But I think we've managed to get our house in order a little bit better than in our, with our uh, non-Mitcho options. So, I've, you know, I think we've, we're going into this one slightly better uh, equipped with, uh, with shuffling the deck um, the way that we need to without Mitcho. So I'm not... 
I think we could, yeah. I think we could get a, a, a point there. I'd be quite happy with that. I mean, you think before they went on this winning run, they, they lost 4-2 at home to Leicester, I think, before they went on this little mini yeah. uh, winning run. So they can be got at home even with uh, with Emery. And all runs have to uh, have to come to an end eventually. They're second in the form table behind City. I think it would have been joint top if they hadn't have drawn with Brentford. So maybe that maybe that draw is uh, signs of things slowing somewhat who knows I'm probably just wishful thinking here but you know yeah. they're not going to win every game from now to the end of the season and they can be beaten at home so why not by us yeah and I think maybe the Brighton strategy look we held on in that Brighton game there's no denying it but Fulham were quite savvy in that game we we yes okay it was a little bit of dark arts it was a little bit of luck but also we held on and if, if you frustrate this Villa crowd, I think if you can get to 60 minutes still nil-nil, then Fulham might grow in confidence. It would just be about weathering that storm. Can we nick one, etc. I think it's going to be one of those games for Fulham. And Fulham have do have that capability in their arsenal to kind of go to difficult grounds, weather it, frustrate them. Um, we did it so well at Old Trafford, obviously, um, until it all fell apart um, a, a few weeks ago. So I don't think it's impossible. Um, but yeah, it's it's looking mighty, mighty difficult. Um, you'd imagine, Izzy, that other than Dan James coming back in, it's probably going to be the uh, the same 11. I can't see a huge, huge amount of changes. Maybe Diop in for Tosin? Maybe. Uh, well, I, just from watching the the Leeds game, I definitely keep toasting in. Seems really confident. Um, seemed like he was in a great mood after the match as well. So definitely keep him in. But Leah, like you say, I think the only change I'd make would be bring Dan James in. Like I said, Bobby wasn't terrible or anything like that. But I just think he's he's so lively, and and the problems caused by Dan James's pace makes can make all the difference, and it could make all the difference against a team like Villa. So I would bring him back in. Cool. All right. Well, we'll see how we go uh, on Tuesday. Uh, a nice little trip up to Villa Park. My first time to Villa Park. Um, so I'm quite excited uh, to make the trip up to, uh, to Birmingham. I to Villa Park. Brentford got beaten about 5-1, I think. So I've got very happy memories of Villa Park. So, yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully that doesn't happen to us uh, this this Tuesday. Um, but yeah, no, I'm looking forward to, uh, to, to going. Another stadium ticked off the list. Uh, I think I'm nearly done all the Premier League grounds now. I think that's um, pretty much my last one uh, from all the teams in the Premier League which uh, so I'm excited to, to get that one off the list on Tuesday uh, Farrell uh, what would you like to go with as today's podcast name well yeah just I mean carrying on for what Izzy was saying about her last trip to Villa Park when Brentford uh, got beaten by uh, the villains and yesterday uh, when they got their late equaliser at the GTEC Lego Stadium and means that now Fulham are top of the West London League. I'm going to have to go for Lindsay's uh, leading West London. Yeah, very nice. Very nice. I thought that was a particularly good one. Uh, we will be back uh, on Thursday for the Thursday Club. Myself, Jack and uh, Sonia's back uh, for this week's show as well. Uh, looking back at that game uh, and everything that happens in it and then previewing um, the big one, the easy match of the season, Manchester City uh, at home. So join us then for that. Uh, please get your tickets for the Fulhamish Live. Um, uh, we'd love to see you there on uh, the 8th of May, as I mentioned earlier. Thank you very much to my guest today, Drew Heatley. Thank you. Cheers, Sammy. Izzy Barker, thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. And Farrell Monk, thank you. Muchas gracias, Sammy. Hey. Have a great start to your week. Come on, you whites. Bye.